This is the year to stop overpaying for your family plan. So choose a straight talk wireless family plan. Unlimited data, talk, and text on a reliable 5G network. And you can get a new line starting at $25 per line per month for four lines, plus taxes and fees and no contracts. That's good decision making. Available at Walmart and on straighttalk.com. Family plan discount with four lines, all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. In times of traffic, your data may be temporarily slower than other traffic. Video streams at up to 480p. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson, you know, before they were legends of outlaw country, they were lost souls looking for their sound. Don't miss Mandy Moore and the new scripted audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the rise of outlaw country music and its biggest stars. Hear how one woman's vision in her tiny living room, far from Nashville's music row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash The Boar's Nest. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. Hey, I just want to say thanks to everybody who has stepped up for the St. Jude kids. St. Jude's doing incredible work fighting childhood cancer. And because of donations, like the ones that you get, families never receive a bill ever from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, food, none of that. Help St. Jude stop childhood cancer. Become a partner in hope. Get this awesome new This Shirt Saves Lives shirt. It's going to look great on you. So join all the doctors, researchers, and me in this fight. All right, text the word Bobby. It's only six numbers to 785-833. Again, text the word Bobby to just these six numbers, 785-833. All right, another Bobbycast. It's the first time we've ever had brothers in two weeks in a row. Maybe the first time we've ever had brothers. I mean, brothers Osborne at the same time, but brothers that weren't in a group together. Can you think of any other siblings? There's only siblings I can think of. Uh, Eddie Montgomery from Montgomery Gentry. So episode 330, which, by the way, massive in the 2000s. Uh, Let me roll through some songs. Uh, My Town from 2002. Here's a clip of that song. This is my town. Something to be proud of from 2005. That's something to be proud of. That's a life you can hang your hat on. Hell yeah. They got a bunch of number ones, and we get into that, but uh, just an interesting story. You know, Montgomery Gentry began playing in the 90s as part of two different bands. But John Michael Montgomery, who was on last week, played with Eddie mm-hmm. a lot. They grew up, they're brothers. They played the family band. So if you heard John Michael last week, this is definitely a different story, uh, mostly because it's about Montgomery Gentry, but they, you know, there's some crossovers. Uh, we do talk about the death of Troy, you know, which he hasn't done a lot. And we get into that in a little bit. Um, but just really enjoy talking with them. You know, at the end, he was like, hey, you want to come up, hang out, let me know. I don't know, I feel like he'd, uh, he beat me up. <laughs> I referenced that a little bit. They were a large duo. He has a very intense presence, he, too. He does. He walks in, the boots and everything. I forgot it was my house, actually. I was like, <laughs> whatever you need, sir. I'll do whatever you need. Uh, but really enjoyed this, and we just thought it would, would be cool if we did John Michael Montgomery, boom, and then Eddie Montgomery, who got famous, was very successful without John Michael Montgomery. Like they did it separately, but two brothers that did it. I thought it was pretty cool. All right, so enjoy this episode. And I'll ask again, especially on Spotify, because it's new where you can now review things. If you can review it on Spotify, it now shows it on the front page. Yeah. So if you don't mind writing something nice, even if you don't think it's a good podcast, if you don't mind writing it's a good podcast, we would like that because it actually does help us. Uh, All right, good? Good. All right, here's episode 330 with Eddie Montgomery from Montgomery Gentry. 
You know, when I walk back here, and first of all, let me say, I am a massive fan of two things. One, you. Two, the fact that you were here early. Like, I, <laughs> you want to win me over? Like, and you're not trying to win me over, but it just, you know, I think there's a generational thing where artists nowadays, they may not show up, not even on time. Man, that's, uh, you know, my, my dad was always, uh, he'd be on our butt about that, man. You know, you better be on time. Well, you I, didn't get the gig. Full disclosure, too, and we'll get to this in a bit, but your brother was here yesterday, day before yesterday? Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm, oh, God. <laughs> I'm always curious as to how the same truth lines up the same or different, you know, because he definitely wasn't talking any, any nonsense about you, but his version of the story is very interesting to me, uh, especially about you two and your dynamic and... And you don't know what he said, which is great. I feel like I'm a, I'm a cop, and I got you in two different rooms. Yeah. And we're questioning you at the same time without you knowing what each other's saying. There you go. But we'll, get to, we'll get to all that later on. So uh, let's just start with you have released – by the way, I saw you on New Year's Eve playing. I saw oh. you on uh, – yeah, on Fox News. You were playing yes. uh, uh, New Year's Eve. And so – and you're doing music – Wild downtown, boys. It's wild down there now. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was over at the park. We were doing the show on CBS, and the city was like, okay, we, we have to be COVID safe. We're only going to allow 20,000 people to stand right by each other and spit in each other's mouth rather than 50. And it's like, well, that's not really – like, I get it. But people were – it was it, they were going berserk down there. Oh, it was un, it was unreal, man. There was a – if there was a mask, I never seen one. Well, yeah, there were there were no masks. Let's not let's not kid ourselves. I've there seen were, a lot of other things. There were no masks. But not no masks. What was Nashville like whenever you moved here, though? Because we're talking about Broadway and you're talking about downtown. But what was that area like whenever you came here in the '90s or late? Well, 80s? I can tell you. Uh, of course, well, I still live in Kentucky. And, so what? You're uh, still in Kentucky too? Yeah, I'm still in Kentucky too. Yeah, me and John well, you Boy, and we live, You just don't leave, do you? You're, I we only live about 15 minutes from each other, so I don't know why, but. You know, it's uh, we can get down here in about two and a half, three hours. So, but when we first started coming downtown, it was all peep shows. I remember the first time we come down here. I remember Tootsie's being open, and we was gonna come down here and just blow the doors off everything. I think we were about seventeen, <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> we come down first, hit downtown, and it was. I remember there was somebody, if I remember right, somebody had got stabbed in a street or something, and so we went to this other. We went to I think it's Murfreesboro Road. That's where all the clubs were. And I remember going in, and I'll never forget the guy's name. One guy's name was Sid Hutchinson, played for Merle Haggard. And one of the guys was keyboard player, and he played with Ronnie Millsap. And when we heard that band play, we need to go back home and work. Mm. So even <laughs> there, they were great. Oh, it was, yeah, it was unreal. But you uh, tell me about what a peep show Like, I, I, I've never been to a peep I don't know what a peep show is, except I feel like I'm going to see naked body parts. Well, it's uh, it's all just what it is simply it a, it's is. It's strip club, just it like that, you know. That's it, and then you have to pay more to to, to see it. That's that's what I've heard anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> here, yeah. Of course, obviously, same. <laughs> so, so the bar on Broadway in Nashville now. For those, and obviously, most people listening to this um, don't live in Nashville, but you know, there's a, a a big street, and there's bars loaded on all sides. It's one to the next, all built into each other, basically. And they're all floors. They're all, yes, and there are people everywhere all the time. Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. It's just people nonstop. But back in the day, on a Friday, Saturday night, was it packed? And if it was packed, was it just people going to the, the peep shows? Uh, it that's, was not, just, that's a worse crowd than now. I mean, there was there was clubs down there, but I remember it was uh, it was pretty rough. I mean, it was rough down there. I mean, you had to, 
You had to watch yourself. So you didn't go down there to play a bunch of music then? That wasn't the place no, to go? No, man, I'll tell you what, it was uh, back then, it was, you know, because you always, we heard about it growing up. You go down Broadway Tootsies and, uh-huh. you know, uh, what was it, uh, Hank Snow and, uh, you know, you had, uh, oh, uh, Midnight Jamboree uh, and all this stuff down there. But, uh, yeah, it was, uh, by the time we got there, 17, 18 years old, uh, I reckon that time had, the city had started changing then. And Where would you guys play then as guys that were just coming to <clears throat> experience it a little bit to see if you could, you know, uh, kind of cut your teeth here? Where would you play? Where would you try to get in to play at all? Uh, well, you just wanted somebody to see you, mm-hmm. you know. And the thing about the funny, what is the funny thing about it is they found us up in Lexington. <laughs> and uh, another great thing after talking to, you know, the great, like, Charlie Daniels and stuff, and I remember all the artists when we talked to them would come into club uh, to see us at the, that they come to Lexington to play because you got paid down here in Nashville. You didn't get paid. Is it because there are so many people, and because there are so many people would do it cheaper? Uh yeah. I think I don't think anybody hardly got paid down here. Just yeah. they come down here to record, and then they'd go play somewhere else to try to make money. And so you guys, and this. I don't even want to tell you the story that your brother told. Cause it's probably the same exact story, but I will say that he said you guys were playing, that you were playing together. You know, as basically we as brothers. Were you Me playing drums for a little bit? Me and John Boy, we started. Uh, you know, I always made a joke about it. My mom was a drummer, my dad was a guitar player, and the bartenders were our babysitters. And we started at eight years old. We we were roadies, man. Carrying in, and I mean, I mean, there's some clubs you walk in, ask you if you had a gun. If it didn't, they'd give you one. <laughs> so, I mean, I was serious. I mean, uh, I reckon uh, Southern Roundup is probably one of the roughest ones we played. And, Where was that, in Kentucky? Uh, it was in Kentucky. We seen a guy get taken out there. Taken uh, out? You got to help me here. Killed? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, because know, of but, a uh, fight? Like a disrespect we, and then somebody shoots somebody? Uh, you, know, I, you know, most of all your honky-tonk clubs back then wouldn't like they were now. You know, you might, uh, there'd be pool tables in there, and there was a lot more men there was to women. And so, you know, at the end of the night, with all the drinks, look out. (laughs) You ever see one of those brawls where people are smacking sticks over heads? I'll tell you, you can ask John Boy about this. uh, And I mean, these dudes fought through the bar all the way outside. (laughs) And then when one would fall, they'd help him get back up and they'd fight again. And then at the end, they went in and got a drink, bought each other a drink. Yeah, we, uh, yeah, me and John Boy, we was playing clubs way before we were supposed to get in them. <laughs> so, but there wasn't really that 21 long. It was, yeah, okay, you know. If you knew somebody, you know, that, that was the main thing. It's all who you knew back then. So as a kid, you have two parents that love music and are playing music. Yeah, we, I mean, actually, when you come in our house, uh, we didn't really have furniture in our living room. We had music equipment. You come in and sit on a guitar amp or a drum throne or something like that. Wow, it's almost like a studio, except you weren't recording. It was just there. Was just, it was just practice and rehearsing and partying. Wow. And your parents were they, in your mind, did they want to be full time country music stars or music stars? My dad did. He, he was really, really wanted it. And I, I you know, and I, I tell you, I wish he could have lived to seen everything, but. Uh, you know, I remember God, man. We used to move around so much. I mean, uh, that's why I reckon, uh, yeah, we kind of quit away at school because <laughs> we was going to honky tonks. We knew what we was going to do. I mean, me and John Boy, and it's like this is what we want to do. And plus, we just moved around so much. I remember one time, I think 
dad, we had lived one place about six months or a year. And he was probably six months behind on rent, and that was a hundred. I think it was one hundred twenty-five dollars a month or something. But uh, yeah, we lived just anywhere, and as long as we got to play music, man, it was great. And we seen a lot of we seen a lot of stuff go down, man. We probably shouldn't have seen. But do you think that you know your your love, your passion for music, was because it was kind of innate inside of you, or do you think it's because you really wanted to impress or bond with your father? You know what? When you ain't got no money, man, you got to have something. And I want to tell you what, you know, my dad always told us, man, he said, you know, uh, called me Dweirdo all the time. Hey, Dweirdo said, you know, music's the worst drug in the world because there ain't no cure for it. And that's that's the damn truth, man. Once it gets in your blood, I mean, uh, that's just it. That's what you want to do. And, you know, it all depends on how hard you want to work at it. You know, it's what you do. It's uh it's not an easy gig, man, and uh, you got to give up a lot uh, to try to get there. And uh, but you know what? I'll tell you what. Ain't nobody had no more damn fun than I've had. I can tell you that right now. And I and I probably uh, probably shouldn't be here today. I'm gonna be honest with you. But uh, with uh, everything I've been through, but what and me you, and John Boy both. What were you drawn to as a kid uh, musically? Was it? Did you go? Because he, uh, you know, you played some drums early on. Uh, it's, I, I feel like just by reading your story, just generally, you've done a little bit of everything musically. Well, as a kid, what were you drawn to to play, and and were you always the guy? Were you a singer? Were you good at singing immediately? Uh yeah, I was singing. I was the first time I was on stage. I was playing drums at four years old, and it was actually uh, at the theater. Uh, and I think it's uh, Jerry Lewis, uh, Jerry Lee Lewis, and uh, Loretta, and I forgot all the other acts that played there. I think they said it was like the worst gig they've ever played. They done a thing on it. I think it from the Opry or something, or I can't remember. But somebody was telling, and I read about it, and I was like, well, my, "And my dad played there all the time. He was act, uh, actually like to open the band. And a lot of times back in them days, you know, you didn't have all the production or whatever. You had one artist show up, might be George or it might be whoever, and they would show up, and the house band would have to be the backup band learning music." So you're playing drums at four. Yeah, and, and singing. I want to be I want to be the front guy. Okay, so you did. That was my question. Like, did you always want to be the guy up front? I want to be the front guy. We just never could afford it. So I had the front from the drums. Mm. So I had a microphone on arm, so I learned to play drums and so sing. You're, you're Phil Collins, basically. And also singing at the same time. I ain't no Phil Collins. But, <laughs> you know, uh, but I wanted to be up front. I never did like playing the drums. But playing music, me and John Boy, hell, we lived in our cars and everything else, man, you know, trying to make it. And... Uh, Hell, at, uh, you know, I just kept playing drums, and we played five nights a week. I know that's what we wanted to do. You know, we wanted to play five, six, seven, eight, ever how many nights we could get, two shows a day, whatever. You know, and that's what we that's what we did. And and I think being on the poor end, way I kind of think it was a it was a thing, man. That people listened to us, you know, and it, you got a little respect. And I loved the music, you know, and I loved what it's saying. And you know, you you could I don't know we could tell our story through it. I remember. Hell, John Boy having a little old escort car piece of junk, man. I, but I tell you what, it got us where it did until it blew up. But I remember we was trying to get to a gig, man, and we would go through the little trays and stuff and pick out. Matter of fact, John Boy wrote a song called Few Cents Short, uh, getting change out of that escort before it blew up. i never forget that. It blew up going to a gig. We always called our cars because we don't, you know, we paid $300 with a high-dollar car. <laughs> And I mean, I ain't lying. We had a 73 yellow Pinto. We called it a Ponto. 
We, I mean, we'd put drums on top of it. We didn't care, man. You know, as long as we could get to the gig to play music, because that's what it was all about. For a while, you, T-Roy, John, you guys played as a, a ba- you were a band. Mm-hmm. like you. And then eventually. I was the third man down on the totem pole. Where are you at the time? Was it, why, well, why? hell, look at them. Hell, uh, go back and look at the pictures <laughs> of them. I'm, poor, I'm pretty boys. They're boys. I was an ugly boy. It's so funny because all the women always wanted to hang towards John Boy, you know, and T-Roy, John Boy singing the love songs and stuff like that. So I had a big mouth and rowdy, and and I front out front of the show. I'd start start to set out, and then I'd bring John Boy up, you know, and uh, but you know all the guys wanted to hang with me, and all the women wanted to hang with them. But you know what's cool with me, hell. You know? <laughs> so does does John Michael move down first without you, or do you guys come together when it's time to make the move? Well, here's the way it was: I was playing drums. Uh, of course, T. Roy's dad. I opened up the grapevine, which is a bar, so he went over to work for his dad. I looked at John Boy, and I looked at me. I love to sing, oh, but I'm going to tell you what. He was that big around, had dimples, good God Almighty, as deep as you could see, blue eyes. and I mean, it don't take no damn dummy, man, to look and go like, if you got four of us in a room and all at once there's 100 women going straight to you, you go, this is the guy we need to push. <laughs> Even though he's my brother. Yeah. <laughs> no. So, but, and I knew that I wanted to do my own thing. You did. I wanted to do, you know, I, I when I first, somebody called me, I was playing uh, the drums John Boy. He'd been signed to Atlantic. And somebody's like, well, now are you John Boy's brother, the drummer? And that's when I went to my brother and I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I said, you know, I like the more outlaw. And I think it's why our band was so good too, because I like doing a lot of the outlaw stuff and John Boy done the love stuff. Mm-hmm. And so it just kind of, it, we had a really rounded band and, you know, plus T-Roy. So, John Michael's down here, and he's doing his thing. Yeah. And why did, did you and T-Roy decide to do it together rather than you individually? You know, why didn't you guys, what what was it about the duo that you well, said, hey, I think this can be something that, that really makes noise in country music? Because anytime anybody would call one of us, they'd call the other one. And so we kept using the same band. And you know, anytime we done a gig and, it just kept going, hey, man, we want both of you all. And then uh, when uh, they come, Sony come up and seen us, uh, they was like, you're exactly what we're hunting for, guys. The duo. Of course, we would, I was smoking on stage and drinking, you know. Hell, I was just, we was just being us, you know. And uh, I'm sure you can ask some of the Sony execs. <laughs> they'll, they'll tell you. So uh, I remember... Yeah, uh, there's a lot of stories, but uh, <laughs> yeah, and we may get to those in a second. I just, I'm just so curious about, you know, the genesis of, and then I'm always curious about the name, and obviously I know why you're named Montgomery Gentry. That's both your last names. Was there ever a discussion like, hey, let's let's name our band like an entity that doesn't involve our names? Well, uh, to be honest, this is how this went down. We had a shirt, and I still got the shirt actually. Somebody brought it to me. Uh, we were called Deuce, and. Um, we come down, and the uh, president of Sony said, boys, y'all got to change your name. said, it sounds too much like douche. And says, I can't have that. That's pretty funny. I thought it sounded like a take-a-deuce, like a so, dump. But, yes, that's a good good, good idea by him to change it. So, uh, douche. So, fun. said, y'all, so funny. said, y'all need to think of a name. So we just kept going around, and we were hitting all the bars downtown, and we were going everything. We was just wilder than hell. And... Uh, Every time they come in, we'd go in and walk in. Anywhere we walked in, they go, because me and T was always together. 
And he's like, well, here comes the Montgomery Gentry boys. Uh, here comes the Montgomery Gentry boys. Finally, just the name just kind of stuck. I'll never forget, though, the first thing when we went in and signed the contract and all that stuff. And this is when, uh, this is when you know it becomes a business. We sit down in the desk, sign the papers, and uh, we had moonshine. Was drinking moonshine. He's like, "All right, boys, y'all ready? You happy?" And we're going, "Yeah, yeah." And he's like, "Well, just remember this: you're a product, and when the product quits selling, I won't need you no more." <laughs> we're just like going, "Oh wow, <laughs> man, what a happy day!" <laughs> Was there ever a debate on whose name went first, or just because people were calling you Montgomery Gentry, the, the Montgomery Gentry You know, I reckon there might have been, you know, but we were so happy to be signed, yeah. man. We was worried about getting the songs and writing songs and all this stuff. So, Both of you guys involved in a lot of the writing? Uh, well, I did more than T-Roy did. Uh, T-Roy kind of left that up to me. T-Roy always loved the business part, man, of it. And uh, I kind of done more of the music and set list and stuff like that and arrangements uh, uh, until we got, you know, so busy that we was being gone and we had to get an actual band leader and stuff to help us. But, yeah, man, that, uh, you know, it's passion. I love it more than anything. And, I, I you know, uh, I, I can tell you right now, my wife, or my smoking hot wife, by the way, uh, she'll tell me right now after I get home about two or three weeks, she's like, you need to get tail out of here. Uh, I said, you need to get back on the road because I, I do. I miss it, man. I, I uh, miss hanging out there with the guys, and it's, uh, I don't know, it's just your space, you know. Did you guys have to kind of find your places, and we'll just call it the band now. It's just you two, but like your, your, your places in the band when you start to record for somebody else. Meaning was there ever a, all right, you do this, I'll do this, or was it already all predetermined because of all the time you'd spent together? That's it. It was all pretty. We always knew, man, what we done in the songs. And I would actually take songs to T. Roy and go like, "Man, I, this is you right here." Because mm. you know, I said, I, I, "I'm not going to sing a love song, and I ain't going to never write one." Which on this new CD, I did. But um, it just come. I don't know how we'd find the songs, and he would always, man, be great at a part of it, and I and that worked for me to part of it. And when it come together, and I reckon that's why. I, People hired us and wanted both of us instead of just one of us. They didn't want the one without the other. It's also wild how big you guys are. I and mean, together, it's like a wrestling tag team. <laughs> That's always what I, you were so intimidating physically. We've done that too. Yeah. <laughs> you, you guys have wrestled? <laughs> yeah. We where, where, where the heck did you guys wrestle? We've done, so we done, a, done a video for uh, TNA. And then, a uh, matter of fact, I just. Uh, Matt Jones. A close friend of mine. Oh, yeah. yeah. I just uh, love Matt to death, man. And uh, I went up and done, uh, of course, he runs uh, yeah. uh, the Ohio Valley Wrestling, yeah. OVW. Oh, yeah. And so I went up there and uh, uh, here about a couple months ago. and uh, Oh, got recently you got in the ring. Yeah. Shoot, I would be hurting for like. Had to do a, had to do a like, body slam yeah. and a big elbow drop, baby. So you, I love that you stuff. Slammed. Shut up, daddy. You slam somebody and then drop the elbow on them? Oh, hell yeah. How long were you sore after that? Uh, I, I, oh, well. I'm sore thinking about it. Yeah, you know, I tell you, it's probably that next day thing, but at the moment, man, it's just, you're just, you're king of the world, baby. Were you a big wrestling guy as a kid? Oh, hell yeah, man. Hell, yeah, man, me John Boy used to wrestle all the time. Uh, we had, uh, we always had everything. My favorite move, of course, 
uh, on my kids, I was done the gas chamber. Mm. Enough said. Okay. <laughs> I was a big figure four guy. I would love, once I figured out the figure four from Ric Flair, yeah, Ric had a Flair. younger sister, I was, I, was doing, woo, I was doing every move on her. I would see it, and then I would practice on her because she was like four years younger than I was. But you grew up in the South. I grew up in Arkansas, in a r- very rural town in Arkansas. Like wrestling was a huge, huge part of my oh childhood. Oh my God, Jerry Lawler, the King Lawler. I, I know. Handsome Jimmy Valley is probably still my favorite. Shut up, Dana. You know, and uh, but uh, I, I love this stuff. Man. How, how big? A, how big old boy are you? How tall are you? Six two. And at well, your boots on, probably six three, six three and a half. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, you feel bigger than six two. Right now. And you got the hat, too. <laughs> to be fair, you're also wearing the big hat. So that's another couple of inches. Yeah, the, the ball. They called it the yeah. ball. Actually, uh, Charlie One Horse makes it for me, man. It's called the ball, the big-ass hat. When it's did... called Tattoos and Scars after my after our first CD. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots. And Tacovas is your next stop before attending your next concert. Tacovas has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring. You're talking about men's boots, women's boots, um, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tacovas boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition, timeless style, always on trend. And Tacovas has first wear comfort, little to no break-in period. Like it's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, direct consumer pricing keeps the value on your feet, the money in your pocket. So stop by your local Tacovas store. Have a complimentary drink. Shop the new styles. You like the smell of leather or no? I love it. Yeah. That's what the whole store basically is. Fresh leather. Yep. Friendly staff. Or like the smell of staff? <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm sure they smell good there. Many stores have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. What a gift, too. Regular live music and events. There is no in-store experience like this. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tecovas.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S. Yeah. Yeah. Tacovas.com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How do the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer shaped the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed as the Boar's Nest, Sue's place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, that's where they would spur each other and tap into something bigger and something realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Backrack as Shel Silverstein and T.J. Osborne as Johnny Cash, alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the boar's nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The boar's nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Listen now at audible.com slash the boar's nest. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. I just want to say thanks to everybody who has stepped up for the kids at St. Jude. St. Jude's been leading the way in the world's best survival rates for some of the most aggressive forms of childhood cancer. Your support means that families never get a bill from St. Jude for treatment or travel or housing or food so the families can focus on helping their child live. And that really hits home for me because I've been to St. Jude many times. I've hung out with the kids, played music for the kids. I was in the hospital a lot as a kid. Now, I didn't have cancer, but if it wasn't for people stepping up, I don't know that I would have been able to go and stay in the hospital and be taken care of. So that's why we do this, take care of others. You can help St. Jude stop childhood cancer by becoming a partner in hope. When you do this, you'll get this awesome new This Shirt Saves Lives shirt. So join all the doctors and researchers, you know, and me in this fight 
and just text the word Bobby to 785-833. It's only six numbers, but text the word Bobby to 785-833. When did you start to develop the look that everyone knows? Like when I picture you, it's like you look now with the hat and the, the glasses and you know, the jacket. When when did this look come about? Was it when you had money or did you have to make it happen cheaper and poorer? Uh done it cheaper and poorer, but it sure did help when we got signed and yeah. um, uh, you know, I always loved how big Charlie Daniels hat was, but I loved the way Whalen's hat looked. And Charlie one horse come up with it. So you just kinda combined so, the two. Yeah, combined the two, man, and it's uh it's kinda stuck with me, I guess. I do want to get to the, the the solo album in a second. Yeah, but I do want to go back musically and go to the debut single back in '99. Yeah, Billy. Yeah, yeah. Back in '99 sounds right, right? Yeah. Like, we won an award in 2000. Yeah. Here is a Hillbilly Shoes, the first single. In my shoes. So when you you know you, you're making this music. Was this song just some? Was it naturally the first single to you, or was there a debate with all the music that you had? Like, what do we want to lead with? What, what do we want our image to be? No, we had a big deal over it. We actually come into town, and when Sony uh, first signed us, we went in and cut uh, four or five sides with a very, very, very prominent producer, very big, and uh, we didn't like it. So we went and told Sony, the president, had a meeting with all of them, and said uh, he don't get us. Is that because it was too shiny, too slick? Why? why? Yeah, uh, it, it was. It wasn't us. And the uh, president, uh, I mean, they sit flat told us, says, boys, y'all know what y'all doing? Said, uh, this producer's like number one producer in Nashville. Said, man, he just, he ain't getting us. And so we went our separate ways, and there was a, another man, thank God for him, uh, Anthony Martin, Joe Scaife, Joe Cotton. Uh, they done us, and they they got it. And so this is who we were, and we was like, this needs to come out. And there was a, at first there was a big fight about it uh, because it was like, uh, man, ain't nobody going to play this. What do you think wasn't being represented initially? And I say too slick, too polished. Like, what was missing to you? What was not being represented about Montgomery Gentry that you were like, this is not us because blank? The rawness. It was that rawness, man. You know, when I mean, if you go back and listen to a Waylon album right now, I guarantee you, you won't be able to hear any old album without some kind of guitar noise or, mm. you know, hear, hear fingers on the string sliding. You know, I, I even, I can't remember which album it is, but I remember listening to the headphones. And you hear, uh, you hear it's on a Waylon album, and you can hear them, Paint it one way and paint it back the other. <laughs> they turned it the wrong way. They just let it. <laughs> they just let it go. And I mean, you know, and it's, it's things like that, man. And I, I think that's why a lot of people are going back to. Uh, my son is. He's a big album nut, man, and he buys them crazy, and uh, he goes everywhere to find them. So that song uh, debuts in the top twenty. I believe it was like twelve or thirteen. 13 that, yeah, I think yeah, so. Thirteen. Uh, so it's time to put out another single, and I'm going to play some of Lonely and Gone now. In the house on the corner of a lonely and gone. Now, the first song had some success, but this one hits its top five song. Mm-hmm. Now, did that just feel like the natural prog- progression? Like, we put out a song that does pretty good. Now, the next song needs to do better. Yep. And it you, you had it. 
I mean, did you start to feel Montgomery Gentry really being, you know, some real substance in Nashville with the song? Yeah. Uh, and the thing about it was we was getting to know everybody out in Radio Land because we done it different. We took a bus, and we didn't have what you seen with us is what you get. And we told everybody that and said, you know, we don't care. I mean, we'd have PDs out there, man, in the morning drinking whiskey. You know, drinking Jim Beam on the bus and stuff. I mean, you guys were doing the peep show. That's what I hear on the bus. What, PDs would come in, you'd be like, peep. Oh, no. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, we was just like, hey, man, this is who we are. You know, we're not for everybody, and we know that. But at least when you see us, yeah, we're telling you the truth, and you ain't going to catch us no damn lie. The next song, She Couldn't Change Me, again, a little higher on the chart that I looked at. It was a number two song. no. That was a number one song. Okay, I feel I, like there's something here. Let's yes, go. Let's talk is. about it. There's a number one. Let's go. And they changed the charts that week. It was number one. They changed that charts. And Jamie O'Neill, God bless you. I love you, Jamie. But they put her because they changed it by numbers or something. And what was that song she had? Wait, why, what do you mean they changed the chart? They changed the chart on us. They changed the chart. They changed it the way they were doing it. Of course, there was uh, R&R, which was radio and records. And you had Billboard. But it was... a Somewhere in Arizona, maybe, or something like that. Whatever she had then. But they, we were number one, and they said they changed the charts this week, and they changed it right back the next week. <laughs> you mean they went back to the old method? That, yes. So for one week, they screwed you out of a song. Yeah, we were play, it was played like a number. It was a number one. Uh, it played like a number one. Well, then let's call it a number. Let's call it a... You know what the heck? Let's call it a number one. <laughs> but my point is that these songs are moving up, right? Yes. You got a 13, you got a 5, you got a... Two, one and a half, Two, whatever, one you want, whatever you want, whatever you want to So you're moving up, and, and, and to get to this, so My Town comes out. And if you don't mind playing a clip of this, Mike. This, to me, might be the song that when I think of you guys, I think of this song. But what's yeah. wild, it wasn't a number one song. Mm-hmm. Like if someone said, name a Montgomery Gentry song, I'd probably go, somebody proud of, My Town, like one of those two songs. Yeah. Did this song... Has it gained so much popularity because of all the places it's been playing since? I see it on commercials. You know, I see it like a oh, sporting man. event. That's the one that, uh, that's the one, man, that knew that we were, wow, we're doing something. Okay, even though it didn't chart as high as the other move. one, you felt like this song was really a, a ah, stand. It was just, it's one of them arena, you know, like, I, I don't, I don't want to say arena rock, but I mean, that's what, you know, you hear a lot of these songs, man, that, you know, that don't go number one, but they're bigger than life. Yeah. And it's because everybody, everybody, there's, I don't know anybody that ain't from a, a small my town. I don't care if it's outside of L.A. or New York or whatever. Their little area is my town. Yeah. And so, you know, that's what the, they felt like. It's like, oh, they're talking to me. And, you know, daddy won't sell the farm, stuff like that. I mean, that's a, a lot of the working class people go, I get it. And the partiers, I get it. <laughs> Who do you feel like Montgomery Gentry even you now, who do you feel like you speak for? Not two, but four. Uh, I think that uh, we're everybody that loves to live life, man. And, uh, you know, this is the greatest country in the world. We can say, be, and dream as big as we want to in this great country. We don't give it enough enough for all of our great American heroes. And I think that's the people that we're singing to, America that's going like, hey, I got a dream too, and I want to go chase it. And so I think that's who we we were speaking to, and the working class because they seen us is like, well, you know, they ain't hiding nothing to play great music, but hell, they they'll have a drink with us. We've been on their bus, you know, and I think it's uh, just the average day, everyday working class. Whether you're going to school, 
whether whatever you want to live life. Do you feel like you appeal to so many people because you look like so many people? Like that's it. I'm just an everyday dude, man. I ain't gonna lie about it. You know, I I like to drink when I do. Look out, it's on. Wait, what does that mean? Look out, it's on. There's so many look out, it's on. Like look out, it's on. You're gonna give me kisses. Like you're gonna try to fight me. What does look out, it's on mean to you? That means uh, last man standing, I guess. <laughs> you know, so you know if you're gonna live, live it right. You know, I never did understand. You know, and I'm probably gonna piss somebody off on this one, but I, I never did understand somebody going in. Yeah. Well, I've had two drinks. Well, hell, that pissed me off. <laughs> I've had two bottles. All right. Yeah, now we're talking. You know? <laughs> were you able to, you know, you're playing in these clubs before 21, and you're experiencing things that a lot of people don't get to experience until later in life. But what was, like, the, uh, the, the, the beer law rule in the house? Could you be 16 and have a beer? In your, my house? Yeah, and your parents would be like, hey, you know. Hell, my first beer was eight. But did your, did your mom and dad know about it? Uh, my dad gave me my first beer. Okay, and so, yeah. and I also am a believer of if you're exposed to something early, you don't go crazy on it later. That's for the right. Most part, you're exactly right. And do you feel like that was kind of a, not that you didn't have your fun, but do you feel like because you were having a beer at eight that you didn't absolutely go bonkers at twenty one? I think it's you hit it right on the head. You know, my old man always said, "said uh, boys, you control it, don't let it control you." And so, you know, of course, I've had a Jim Beam sponsor for years. So they still make my boots for me. So, but, yeah, you know, I was around it. And, uh, you know, and I won't go much further than that. But, uh, hell, we was, uh, we was around a lot of stuff. <laughs> people, a lot of stuff. Did people ever come up to you in a bar like a guy? And they're like, oh, you're the fancy guy from Montgomery Gentry. You know, you're a big dude. I think I could probably take you. All right, fancy singer guy. Let's go. Did people ever come up and give you any hassle? Uh, you know, maybe used to. There are a few times in a bar you had punk, but we, you know, we never did have a. We always bounced ourselves, me and John Boy and T Roy. We bounced every place we played. Well, yeah, look at you. I mean, you get. So, yes. Did and, you ever bounce yourself though outside of music? Let's just make a few bucks. No, you didn't. Have, you never were, did. I was always playing. Yeah. I mean, if we wouldn't, we wouldn't play in a club at night. We was rehearsing somewhere, or we were either going trying to find a musician, or we were seeing who our competition was. If we wouldn't play, but most of the time we was playing, and I mean, even it breaks, we'd go around, man. I'd take off and go check the bars and talk to owners, and you know, throw a well. My old man they always called me, you know, mouth of the south. So, you know, I had to go around. I'd done a lot of uh, BS, and I'll call it that way. <laughs> uh, something to be proud of. I mentioned that earlier. Massive number one for you guys. That's something to be proud of. That's a Again, this is a song that speaks to people where I come from. You know, I'm uh, from a small town, part two. I'm from a, a small town in Arkansas, and I think a lot of people that grow up where I grew up go, "Oh, like they're talking to me and about me." Like, did this song? Again, you've had at this point, you've had so many songs. You've had uh, "If You Ever Stop Loving Me," "Gone." You have all these massive songs, but did this? Do you feel like this took you to a new level again? Oh yeah, I mean it's just a. Uh... Or was it just part you of know, it? You know, you can't, uh, to me, I, I don't think you can go wrong, man, when you're, when you're singing about the truth and uh, especially singing about America, man, and, our, and all our great people that's here. What was the height? Was there a moment to you at the, the height of Montgomery Gentry, massive popularity, songs are on the radio, 
you're headlining. Was there a moment where you're like, dang, like this is pretty wild that this has happened? Well, my old man always told us, man, or told me, you know, and, and John Boy, both of us, but he's like, he said, you know, he said, you can win all the awards you want to, but said you've never made it until you're a member of the Opry. And so when Charlie Daniels come up and invited us to be a member of the Opry, then uh, uh, that was pretty uh, that's pretty awesome. And then plus, the, you know, of course, the uh, Kentucky Music Hall of Fame, that was awesome too. So uh, it's been, uh, you know, it's stuff because I, I reckon, you know, to be really honest, I don't think we ever done it, me and John Boy, never done it. Uh, to be the stars or that. We just done it because that's we love music and that's you know, it's like your dad's a bricklayer and you become a bricklayer, you know, and it's and we knew that. You know, we knew the honky tonks and I mean we were playing with dad time I was drum, I was full time drummer at twelve and John boy was I don't reckon he was eleven or something, uh, playing guitar. And so we already knew all the club owners. So when that when it was making that switch from dad playing the old style country, Hank Senior and Hank Snow, and all that. And uh, of course, Dad was a hell of an entertainer. He always done the Grand Ole Opry stuff, you know, imitating people. But we knew the bar owners, and when me and John decided to make our own band, when we could start driving, uh, they let us. They let us in the bars, and of course, we were playing Bob Seger, Alabama. We was playing all the new stuff, and you know how that goes, man. You know it's gonna. The switch is the captain's got to switch it. So they started hiring us, you know, and the old man was like, I'm just going to play weekends from here on out, boys. And uh, so when he was for sure then, and we'd go, every once in a while we'd go back him, he'd need a band, and he'd have a gig, and we'd go back him. But, yeah, I tell you what, man, I miss them days a lot. I tell you what, them honky-tonks, they were, a lot of them was rough as hell, but uh, a lot of fun and a lot of unique people. You mentioned the Opry, which – you know, has been just so such an instrumental part of my life. But my grandmother, you know, and she raised me for a lot of my life. And we would either watch it on TNN or find a way to listen to it. But the but to her, that was the biggest thing. So to me, it became a thing. Whereas a kid, at first, I was like, I don't want to listen or watch this again. But I, I did, and then it became like a really big part of my life mm-hmm. because of my relationship with her. And when she passed away and I moved to town and I started – playing the Opry, like doing stand-up comedy there. And to, it was the biggest deal to me just to play it because of her, right? And you mentioned how that's such a big deal to you and because of what your dad said, like the Opry is where it's at. Mm-hmm. And I've watched a lot of people be inducted. Um, I produce the TV show there now for the Opry, like still a big part of my life. And I see people in these different introductions and people will come off the stage. Garth will come on with someone and go, hey, you're being invited. And, you know, Dustin Lynch gets invited, like Kelsey Ballerini. You mentioned it was Charlie Daniels. What can you remember about that night did you know? Did you have a feeling you were going to be invited? No, didn't have a clue. Uh, and I got a story on that. This is funny. <clears throat> so anyway, little Jimmy Dickens, love him to death. I, I got plenty of stories on him too. But uh, little Jimmy was out there. Well, they told us he was telling uh, he was telling a couple jokes, and they told us said, "Well, you might have to cut a song because little Jimmy's running late." I'm like, "It's fine with us." So we get out there and we get two through two songs, and once we hear in the monitors, whoa, whoa, hey, hold, hold it, hold it, hold it, boys. And we're going like, oh, well, they're cutting us, me and T cutting us. And we kept, hold it, boys. And we're looking around, we're waiting, we're not seeing nobody. And all at once, this big figure starts walking right down through the middle of the lights, you know, 
blinding us. He's in the dark. And all at once, here comes Charlie Daniels out. And did you, you know, know that's what it was? No. I had no clue until he got yeah. on stage and told us. I mean, I... Were you just like, why is Charlie walking on stage I, with us? I, I, is he I blew lost? us away, man. <laughs> blew us away. I mean, that's the one time that I got real, real... Uh, yeah, both of us got really emotional, man. Because, you, you know, it's just something... You know, as a kid, I remember sitting in the car when Dad wasn't playing music. He'd, have, he'd, be, li he'd be listening to it on the radio. I'd be sitting in their car with him. Of course, he'd have his half pine or whatever, you know. <laughs> but... Uh, Anyway, we'd sit there and listen, and uh, it was a uh, just a really big deal, man. And uh, so, yeah, that uh, that was that was pretty killer. And so he comes on and goes, "Hey, I want to invite you guys to be an official member of the Grand Ole Opry." Do you and you have to play music after you get invited, right? Because you hadn't played it yet. You had to play. Yeah, a song. we had to, we done one more song, and then it was. It I was, bet that was. T I bet that was uh, tough and awesome at the same time. It was. It was man. It was a catch twenty two. It was just unreal. But he was just getting so emotional trying to get through the song. You know how. When you're singing, if you're getting emotional, your voice wants to break up a little bit, and you're going like, oh. And then, hell, you know, I'm, not, I'm thinking about, I'm going to be a member of Opera Hill. I'm not thinking about words. <laughs> <laughs> what about whenever you actually went and, you know, uh, became a member? Because it's, it's a, it's a two-prong two almost. Mm -hmm. You get invited, and then, you, then there's a night where you get inducted. Marty Stewart. Marty Stewart inducted you. Man, that's that's royalty right there. Both of them inviting oh, and inducting you, you guys. So it's just a it's an awesome deal and something you'll never forget. And uh, I tell you, it's uh, it's unbelievable. And that's uh, why I love my life so much. You know, I'm a. Uh, it's not it ain't. It's been perfect to me, but it ain't been perfect. If you know what I mean? Right. Through all the stuff, it's uh, me and John Boy's been through. I've been through. And, uh, you know, and that's one thing I can say, man. Uh, you know, we're being John Boy. Besides being brothers, we're pretty much raised each other and best friends, man. You know, if one of us had an apple, the other one had an apple. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacovas is your next stop before attending your next concert. Tacovas has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring. You're talking about men's boots, women's boots, um, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tacovas boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition, timeless style, always on trend. And Tacovas has first wear comfort. Little to no break-in period. Like, it's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, direct consumer pricing keeps the value on your feet and the money in your pocket. So stop by your local Tacovas store. Have a complimentary drink. Shop the new styles. You like the smell of leather or no? I love it. Yeah. That's what the whole store basically is. Fresh leather. Yep. Friendly staff. Or like the smell of staff? <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm sure they smell good there. Many stores have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. What a gift, too. Regular live music and events, there is no in-store experience like this. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tecovas.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S. Yeah. Yeah. Tecovas.com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How do the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer shaped the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed as The Boar's Nest, 
Stu's Place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, that's where they would spur each other and tap into something bigger and something realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Backrack as Shel Silverstein and T.J. Osborne as Johnny Cash alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the boar's nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The boar's nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Listen now at audible.com slash the boar's nest. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. I just want to say thanks to everybody who has stepped up for the kids at St. Jude. St. Jude's been leading the way in the world's best survival rates for some of the most aggressive forms of childhood cancer. Your support means the families never get a bill from St. Jude for treatment or travel or housing or food so the families can focus on helping their child live. And that really hits home for me because I've been to St. Jude many times. I've hung out with the kids, played music for the kids. I was in the hospital a lot as a kid. Now, I didn't have cancer, but if it wasn't for people stepping up, I don't know that I would have been able to go and stay in the hospital and be taken care of. So that's why we do this, take care of others. You can help St. Jude stop childhood cancer by becoming a partner in hope. When you do this, you'll get this awesome new This Shirt Saves Lives shirt. So join all the doctors and researchers, you know, and me in this fight and just text the word Bobby to 785-833. It's only six numbers, but text the word Bobby to 785-833. And you guys stayed obviously brothers. Did you stay close and like lean on each other at times? Because obviously it still do every day. I mean, this is a business, just the creative business, not even just music, but in, in a world of creation, there are highs and lows. It's just the nature of it. And I'm assuming you guys were there for each other when you were both experiencing different highs and different lows. Uh, yeah, man, uh, definitely through, man. Uh, we've talked to each other and helped each other through stuff and talked how we should do this and how we shouldn't do that. You guys ever done a song together? Like you, among other uh, You know what, man? It's funny you said that. We ain't got it done or finished yet, but uh, uh, it should be done here pretty soon. But we, we just done Brotherly Love. And it's the first time that we've done done one together. Did you ever think about that back in the day? Like, or, or, or we never you just did, to, man. Were you just trying to keep two different entities? Uh, you know, at first when we first started, man, you know, we didn't. I didn't want nobody knowing John Boy was my brother. Is that right? Yeah, so you made yeah, a point. Yeah, he he asked me. He said, "You want to help me?" I said, "Hell no!" I said, "I won't do this on my own. I don't want nobody because I'd already seen and heard growing up my whole life about how siblings don't make it. Mm-hmm. You know, they try, or a lot of times the kids don't make it." You know, and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, I was like, nope, I don't want nothing on this. And I, you know what? Believe it or not, there's probably still guys out there in radio stuff that don't that don't know me and John Boy's brothers. I run into people all the time uh, that go like, hold it, you're John Michael Montgomery's brother, or it's like John Michael's your brother. Yeah. I go, yeah. And they go, well, my God, that makes sense now. You know. I mean, I had a eureka moment like that probably 10 years ago because I grew up listening to both, mm-hmm. but I never put it together until I think someone was just just told me. He's like, hey, you know, they're bro- – wait, what? And then <laughs> then it's like it, it's all there because the word Montgomery is in both of them. Yeah. But I, you're right. I never associated you two with each other at all. Respected and listened to both of you, but never associated you two as brothers. Yeah, we never, uh, we never even – you know, we didn't start doing shows together until here not too long ago. And, uh, you know, we always just kind of kept that separated, even though we run around together all the time, you know, and live 15 minutes. We hang out 
we hang out at the same uh, club together and everything. You and T-Roy won the CMA for Vocal Duo of the Year in 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, ACM and AMA. You won all three of them. You swept it. Okay. Do you remember who you beat out? I have the list here. Oh, yeah. Oh, you. Because <laughs> they said we'd never win it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And, they, uh, and you know, and I, I don't want to talk about anybody, but, you know, I, I, mean, I mean, we were already, we said, well, we're, you know, we're lost because they told, everybody told us, going there, said, you lost. Said, Shadaisy's going to win it. And that was the first one, AMA. That's the first one we won. Mm-hmm. And then we went on, and let's see who else we beat at. I was Shadaisy and every one of them. Well, uh, the CMA, Bellamy Brothers, Brooks and Dunn. Yeah. The Kenley's. Oh, that's right, Brooks and Dunn. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because I remember Vince coming out spinning a microphone stand. Yeah. Forgot about that. And you were nominated the year before. Brooks and Dunn won it. Then the next year, you guys won. It's like you needed it. It's like a wrestling match. Yeah. Back and forth. Two prominent duos. Uh, you and T-Roy, though, would have whooped their butts. Physically. I know them both. I'll tell you that right now. If they ever wanted to mess with you guys, it's over. Oh, I'll tell you, man. We've uh, we've had our share of stuff with people. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's all in fun, man. Got to live life. Got to learn every day. So I want to talk about the solo record for a second uh, because this is – Hell, I wrote uh, this whole corona thing, man. I, hell, I've been stuck in the garage. and Hell, I wrote a book and, or I helped write a children's book, wrote the album. So, so a lot of this writing happened during the last year and a half or so, just when COVID hit. Whenever you put out a, a solo record, I'm imagining, though, that it's a – is it a full shift to you? Because it's got to be so comfortable to have your partner with you forever and he's not with you there anymore. You know, that's why it took me a while to, to, to do it because – and I still do, even on stage, man. I, you know, I'm so used to looking to my left. And it was just – it worked out so perfect, man, and I – it. You know, it's just like, uh, you know, we've known each other longer than we've known our wives. So, yeah, you know, that uh, everything we've done was, you know, us. We always, you know, was talking to each other or whatever. After T-Roy died, did you consider not not continuing Montgomery Gentry? Did you ever just think about being Eddie Montgomery, or did you have you feel like there was something no, unfulfilled? it's still Montgomery Gentry, man. It's yeah. MG. It's MG for life, and, you know, I, uh, that's something that uh, – I don't know. I don't ever want anybody to forget T. Roy, man. Because I tell you what, he was a <laughs> he was a character himself, you know. And we're missing. I think we're missing a lot of that in country music now is characters. And uh, you know, you got to got to live life, man, and sing and have fun, man. And I mean, that's I, I'm not going to quit living because you know I'm, I might be riding on a bus or be on a stage. I'm going to get out and hang with everybody. What was your favorite thing about T. Roy as a person? Like a human being. Uh, you know, he taught me a lot of stuff, how to be a better parent, a better husband. You know, because I was, grew up pretty wild, man. I was, <laughs> uh, and I'm sure John Boy, ain't if John Boy said anything, he probably <laughs> told you that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, with me, about anything goes, and, you know, hell, I'm, a, I'm that guy that at the end of my life, you know, most people – You'll ask, and they'll go like, man, God, I wish I'd have tried that. God, I wish I'd have done that. I'm going to be that dude going, oh, hell, maybe I shouldn't have tried that one. <laughs> maybe I shouldn't have done I, You know, I wish I really wouldn't have done that one. But, uh, you know, hey, it's life if you don't try it, man. You know, hey, that's why America's the greatest country in the world, because we can go get it if we want it. That's all you got to do. When you play the massive hits – 
do you, are you singing even the songs that T-Roy sang? Uh, you know what? Here's the way I've done that. And I was going to, and I started. And I went, it didn't feel right to me. So all of my guys, most of my guys anyway, we've been together from day one, uh, our band. And I was like, you know what? Let's do this. So I might start one off with T-Roy song like Hillbilly or, you know, or something. And uh, then I'll switch off and maybe let, you know, the keyboard player play a verse, you know, Eddie K and we'll, or Frank, a guitar player. And we'll just switch back and forth a little bit and do it a little bit. But I'm going to tell you what. Here's the great thing about having songs like that. Even though they wouldn't number one, hell, uh, we, of course, we don't call nobody fans. We call them friends, man. And our friends are louder than we are singing them back. So that's the great thing about it. And, I mean, you know, I just, hell, I can start singing, and, hell, they sing T-Roy's part for me. You know, you guys have songs that really speak to country music, late 90s, uh, 2000s. You know, that, to me, is that sound. Like, when I think, you know, if someone's like, hey, I know what the 90s sound like, I know what the ni- or late 90s, 2000s sound like, and you guys are definitely the leaders in that category to me, like, when I think of that type of music. Uh, so to get out and perform these songs this is the last question i have about the dynamic of of you two guys but the first time you go out after you're playing again after t-roy's death i mean that's got to be just extremely emotional i mean was it or was it not oh dude i tell you what me and the whole band we opened up for alabama and nervous as hell and uh we all, man, started uh, tearing up backstage, man, just before we went on. And I was like, God, I hope we can get through this. And, uh, you know, we know T-Roy's with us, and he's like, he'll get us through it, Ed, as long as he don't play a prank on us. <laughs> <laughs> did you, well, in that first performance, did you ever feel a moment where you're like, okay, we got it. Like, I worried about it, but I, but, but we got I, it. You know, that whole thing, I, by the end of it, I'm going to tell you, I was uh, – Every one of us was emotionally just, yeah. But we all got back there and had us a drink and like, yeah, T. Roy, thank you, brother. Got a few tour dates that I want to mention here. Uh, you are you're, you're in Fort Myers, you're in Georgia, you're in Nebraska, and you're playing these different shows. How long how, how long is this set for Montgomery Gentry now? Uh, well, with I had the new stuff right now. My uh, our set's been running about. 140, 145. It's a long show. It's a good show. You play all the hits still? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, no. We go, and I mean, ours ain't like talking. We go into one, and it's kind of like Southern rock thing, you know. It's one right into another. So when I get there, you're going to play Lucky Man. Like, if I show up, you're going to play. Damn right. I'm not going to be like, what? They didn't play my song. Well, damn right. It'll be there. (laughs) This festival and concert season will be all about the boots. And Tacova's is your next stop before attending your next concert. Tacova's has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring. Talking about men's boots, women's boots, um, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tacova's boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition, timeless style, always on trend. And Tacova's has first wear comfort, little to no break-in period. Like it's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, direct consumer pricing keeps the value on your feet, the money in your pocket. So stop by your local Tacova store. Have a complimentary drink. Shop the new styles. You like the smell of leather or no? I love it. Yeah. That's what the whole store basically is. Fresh leather. Yep. Friendly staff. Or like the smell of staff? <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm sure they smell good there. Many stores have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. What a gift, too. 
regular live music and events. There is no in-store experience like this. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tecovas.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S. Yeah. Yeah. Tecovas.com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How do the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer shaped the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed as The Boar's Nest, Sue's place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, that's where they would spur each other and tap into something bigger and something realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Backrack as Shel Silverstein and TJ Osborne as Johnny Cash alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the boar's nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The boar's nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Listen now at audible.com slash the boar's nest. Let me make sure everybody knows that, you know, you'll be able to stream the new Montgomery Gentry album into January. If you're at Walmart and you want to get it now, it's actually out there. But it's, you know, 12 tracks. It's all you. It's all, it's Montgomery Gentry. Same sound. Like you feel, you feel. Ah, you have to, man, you know, it's, uh, to me, I tell you what everybody's told me that it sounds like, it sounds, it sounds like Tattoos and Scars, our first CD. Right. I, I, I got to know something. What all John boys say about my butt? But I well, because I, I got a few stories on him too. I he yeah. you know he he was, when he fell off a tricycle and bit the end of his tongue off, he'd go around telling his name Johnny the Dummy. You know he didn't tell that story. <laughs> well, oh, sorry, John boy. That story did not come up. I like that story. That's a good one. You know, mostly he just talked about you know you guys having to kind of. Find your identities yeah. not playing together a bit. Right. That your identity was so much together for so for, for your youth. That's and, exactly right. And that it was you, you know, Troy, him, you guys played together so much that there was a time where you had to figure out who each other were without each other. And you know, it was it was a lot of that. But yeah, he didn't really he didn't really goof on you as much as I was hoping. I was really hoping to get some good. But he you know, I tell you what, he loves you. No doubt about it. Oh man, I tell you what. Uh, you know what? I, I don't know what I'd do without him, man. Because he's uh he's had my back, and I mean through a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff that uh, uh, most people would turn and run. You're bigger than he is, though, right? I feel like you're bigger. I feel like you're a bigger guy than he is. Yeah. You ever whoop his butt pretty good after eighteen? Uh, you know what? After we started playing music together all the time, now nah, we might have uh, some disagreements about music, but that was pretty much it. No, nah, we. Uh, I bet on you. Uh, it, uh, now when we was kids now, oh, hell. <laughs> well, listen, let me say this. Uh, first of all, you guys check out the music. His Instagram is lucky man, Eddie. Why lucky man, Eddie? Uh, because I feel like that's who I am, man. Uh, my life that I've grew up and you know what? No matter how tough or rough, whatever's been, man, it's been awesome. Yeah. Totally flipping awesome, man. And I, I, I can't say it no better than that. I'm going to thank the man upstairs. And everybody that has come to the rescue and everybody that's had our back since we come out with tattoos and scars, even back in the clubs with me and John Boy that helped us out when we didn't have no food, helped us out when we didn't have no car. Yeah. 
you know, uh, we owe everybody that, man. And that's, uh, that, uh, to me, that's, that's why America is the greatest country in the world because our neighbors help each other. And the Montgomery Gentry Instagram is at Montgomery Gentry. So I'd encourage you to, to follow those and check out the new music. And if they come to town, if you guys come to town, go see you. Because you're going to play the hits. Damn right. You're going to play the new stuff, too, but you're going to play the hits. That's right. Because if I show up and you don't play something to be proud of, I'm going to go get a refund. I'm going to go. You'll hear it. Yeah. I promise you. <laughs> hey, really appreciate you spending an hour here with me talking and catching up. Hey, man, thank you so much for having me, man. I appreciate it. Did you drive down today? Uh, I drove down actually last night, but I wasn't for sure where it was at. Because, you know, even though I've been coming to Nashville for years, yeah. Uh, you know, I just go to straight one place. and I don't know. I don't know. In and out and how it is. And I'll tell you, like I said, from the first time I come down here, you just went down Main Street and it was the peep shows and everything. And it was really, I think all the most of you good clubs where everybody was playing was out on Murfreesboro. So, and and I remember that. And somebody told me now, I don't know how rough Murfreesboro is, but they said it's a lot different. And I know all the clubs, all the partying is downtown now. Well, and, you know, you'd only see clubs, uh, if you seen somebody playing downtown, it'd be one here or maybe one there, Tootsie's. Uh, and they're... All the upstairs and everything be done, but now there's rooftop bars. There's it's, it's everywhere. Yeah. Oh, I'd hate to even guess what a piece of property down there costs now. Uh, yeah, it's it's ugly. Yeah, <laughs> it's ugly. Well, uh, listen, thank you very much for coming by. Hey, man, thank you for having me so much, man. You ever need anything from us? You let us know, brother. I saw, we'll be there. I saw your truck, so I know gas wasn't cheap to get down here or get back home. So. Uh, oh, I get about two miles a gallon. That's a big get, truck out there. I gotta have a truck, boys. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank, thank you, Eddie. Good to see you. Hey, good to see you, bro. Thank you. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacovas is your stop before attending your next concert. All Tacovas boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tacovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. Stop by your local Tacova store. Have a complimentary drink. Shop new styles. If you can't make it to a store, just visit Tacovas.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. You can probably spell it. You probably know it. Tacovas.com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts, the medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeart Radio app. Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts.